Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today's very special guest is Ben Winter. Ben is the author of the book, What to Expect When Having Expectations, as well as numerous others. And he also does a lot in the work of improv. And we'll get into that when we get into the video, because it's a little hard to explain without him actually giving examples of it. But we do get to talk about how improv can affect us in our everyday life, right? Because when we talk about improv, I mean, it's not like our whole life is scripted. Everything's kind of random, you know, things happen that you don't expect and you have to kind of adapt on the fly. So, you know, we'll get into that in the video. And we also talk a lot about expectations. But before we go any further, you can check out Ben at havingexpectations.com. Everything is on here. Also, there's a link to the flowchart that Ben mentions in the podcast as well. Ben was a great guest, and when we talk about expectations, you know, especially with people who deal with mental health problems, there's always going to be unrealistic expectations, whether it be bad or good, right? You know, you're overconfident and you think you can do everything, or you don't have any confidence, and then all of a sudden you don't think you can do anything, right? So it can be a very tough balancing act, and we get into a lot of those things. I think Ben has done a lot of great research in the realm of expectations and it's something that I hold very close to my heart since I've always had either low or high expectations. I never really have anything in the middle, but maybe that'll change after today. But before I go any further guys, let's get straight into the video. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the Mental Health Chats. I'm your host, Lucky, or Mental Health Casual, whatever you guys prefer to call me. Um, I don't think anybody calls me Mental Health Casual, but I always just like to leave, leave that little caveat out there uh, just in case. And uh, so today we actually have an author today of um, what to expect when having expectations. And as we know, when we go through the mental health, uh, when we go through our own mental health journeys, a lot of times expectations play a big part in our downfalls. And, you know, sometimes it actually helps to get healthy expectations as we go along because, uh, you know, some of the people that don't have any expectations whatsoever of their lives tend to be very, uh, tend to be very kind of lost in life. And uh, so, you know, we'll be probably uh, talking about that a lot today, but uh, Ben, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on. And, you know, usually what I ask people first off is to kind of explain, you know, before we get into your book, can you explain a little bit of your journey and, um, you know, have you had any instances where you actually have had to deal with mental health either on your own side or maybe, uh, maybe the first time you, or you, you saw it in like a, a relative or a friend or anything like that? Yeah. So my big, uh, kind of dark moments, if you will, was shortly after my divorce, um, about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I've, I've kind of lost track. It's, it's not like one of those dates that's like burned into my head, but, um, it was after the divorce that I, I just started kind of going down this dark, dark hole. And um, I was pretty close to being done. And I think honestly, having my son was the one thing that kept me from doing anything really bad to myself. So um, I'm definitely thankful for having him every day of my life. But it was shortly after that particular moment in time where I kind of found um, I found some answers kind of through the spiritual path of things, not, I'm not going to say like religion of any kind, but um, it was, it's one of those things where if you look back at what Einstein says, he says, you can't solve a, a problem at the same level it was created. So you can't solve an emotional problem emotionally. You've got to solve it mentally, physically, spiritually, something like that. Um, and so throughout that process, I found healing through the spiritual path also through the physical path, I started running and it was just, it was so good for me. And, um, shortly after that, or during that period of time is when I kind of came into this whole idea of teaching improv, um, to businesses and that spawned, you know, several books. And it also spawned the, the, what to expect when having expectations book when all is said and done. So it was, it, it was interesting how going, to a really dark spot brought me out to something magical and um, exciting and creative. 
Yeah, well said. And I, you know, when you were talking a little bit earlier about um, about improv and, you know, could you explain exactly what you were teaching these businesses? Because when I think of improv, usually, I mean, I think about improv comedy a lot or, you know, <laughs> I, I'm a musician as well. So I think of improving during solos, all that kind of stuff. And even in improv, there are certain rules to uh, go through, at least in a musician's uh, space, at least in some stand up comedy uh, ways. I mean, even in uh, freestyle rap. There's some uh, rules to kind of go by, but I mean, what what is this improv that you're teaching uh, these businesses, and you know, kind of imparting, uh, you know, what what kind of a knowledge in improv are you imparting to these people? Yeah, I think you pretty much said it. And if you think of improv, whether whatever you consider improv, there's generally going to be a set of rules that you have to follow. And I have the background in short form improv, which is a group of people on stage performing, you know, short little skits. And the people on stage have to be following the same set of rules. Otherwise, it's a complete disaster. You know, the show Whose Line Is It Anyway is a great show because everybody on stage is following the set of rules that that makes it work. And those same rules apply to life and business and everything that we do on every moment of every day of our lives. And so I was able to kind of figure out, you know, how can I teach this to a business? How can I teach this to a group of people that want to work better together to have better communication, to have more fun in the workplace, whatever it may be, not necessarily to get up on stage and do improv, but to know the same rules and how they apply in that in the moments that they do have where they're improvising, which by the way, is every moment of every day of our lives. We don't have a script. We're improvising. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really interesting because that's something I had to learn as I was conquering my social anxiety, right? When you're talking about, uh, you know, I was always the one that would think about everything that I would say before I'd even go to a party, you know, like, oh, this person's going to be here and I know they like to talk about this. So let me get some topics prepared and all that stuff. And uh, I, I soon kind of had to figure out that it was going to, you know, I was going to have to live life to actually get the material to kind of go through this stuff. Because, you know, I whenever you you know whenever you think about shows like whose line is it anyway or any of these shows um a lot of these people have a lot of life experience and so when you throw something at them they generally kind of know roughly what it is just because they they keep their uh, ear to the ground on a lot of this stuff but uh yeah that's really fascinating i'd never really thought about improv being used in such a way that it's uh you know you can bring it to other parts of your life but that's kind of the universality of a lot of philosophies and a lot of uh ways of living too and you know you know, the, this book, it sounds a lot like a self-help book. So how do you, how did you get into like self-help, self-improvement? I mean, how did you get into to writing these things? Because I mean, I've been trying to write a, like, I have like several books and I'm like, every single time I try and write these things, man, I just, you know, my brain dies halfway through and I'm just like, uh, and then I have to come back to it. I have to, you know, figure out what I want to even say. And then all of a sudden I read it back and it sounds like, tar it sounds like Tarzan wrote it or something like that. And, you know, I mean, how do you go through that process? Yeah, so I've been doing personal growth work for over 20, about 20 years. I'm not going to say over 20 years, but about 20 years now. And uh, it's just been something that's kind of in my life. And then, you know, when I started getting to that point where it was like, I need to teach improv, it just became very clear to me that I needed to write a book because, you know, people like to hire people who are authors as well, because apparently they know more. You know, it's, it's a common misconception. I mean, it, you could write a book uh, like Tarzan and sell it on Amazon and you don't have to worry about an editor or, you know, anything. And, you know, if it sells, it sells, but now you're a published author. So it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> that's the trick of the trade. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I sat down and this book was just, it, it just flowed out of me. It was just super fast. I think I wrote it in a week. Um, I went back and proofread and made changes over like the next month but it was it was so clear as to what i needed to say and it it's almost the same thing that i teach in my classes just written instead of um i don't want to say performed because it's more you know facilitated in front of a group of people so um that first book was really kind of simple in that in that standpoint because i knew what i wanted to teach i knew how i wanted to teach it and i just had to put it in a book form so um, but as I came to doing the what to expect when having expectations book, um, so the first one I'm talking about was Living Unscripted, which is improv for life. But the, the what to expect book, that one was a little bit more tricky because I knew I had all these ideas about expectations. 
And the thing that I'd been saying for a really long time is that the only reason we get upset is because an expectation isn't being met. And I said, well, that's a cool saying, but it doesn't solve any problems. So I sat down and I created a flow chart to solve the problem because, you know, if, if you're upset, it's an emotional problem. Let's solve it mentally. So I created this flow chart. And then every time there was like a no, like, have you shared your expectation with somebody? No. Well, there's a lot of information there packed in that little no. You know, why don't we share our expectations? You know, what, what's the fear that we have about sharing those expectations? And, and so I said, I need to write a book. And so I just kind of went through the flow chart. I went through all the ideas and I, I had to take the step back and say, you know, where do our expectations come from? Why do we have them? You know, if they're not serving us, what do we do about it? And so there was just lots of different pieces that came about. And, and yeah, that was a little tricky to put together in a book because you're like, okay, how do I fit all the pieces together? Because I have this puzzle that's just on the table and now I have to put it together. So that one took a little longer, but I, I knew ultimately what the message needed to be and it was just putting it in the right order. So, yeah. And I, I'd, I'd seen a little bit of the, uh, the flow chart. And one thing that I was curious about, because a lot of people don't have the wherewithal to think, because when it, whenever we think about being upset, at least in the mental health field, a lot of people, uh, not, not in particular, like the psychologists or anything like that, typically the patients, it's almost like they don't want to be upset. It's like, Oh, I've been upset. And now I've failed everything. It's almost like that's their, that's like the end all right. Uh, for you, it almost sounds like it's the beginning. How did you get uh, the beginning of a decision, right? A decision-making process that kind of goes down this flow chart um, instead of, you know, like I said, uh, most people, it tends to be like the end of it. I mean, how, did, what made you uh, kind of flip that switch? Was it something that you always inherently knew or was it just someday, I don't know, maybe you were, you were driving on the freeway and you're like, wait, okay, this guy cut me off. I have like a decision here to make because not a lot of people have that wherewithal to kind of stop everything and be like, okay, I, I can make a decision here. And where do I go from here? I mean, how did that kind of, uh, how did that even spark as an idea in your, in your head? I think it has to do with not just one particular thing, but all of the personal growth that I've been doing, the improv that I've been doing. Um, the beauty of improv and I think people, everybody should take an improv class, whether you're going to do it on stage or not. I just, I think it's, it's kind of one of those things that really helps with people in life. One of the rules of improv that's very common uh, that a lot of people say, isn't the rule yes and something that you do in improv? And yes, that is one of the rules of improv. And what that really comes down to is accepting what is and adding to it, doing something about it. And I think the first thing in I'm going to say anybody that's that's in need of help, whether that's mental help or otherwise, you have to accept where you are before you can do anything about it. If you don't accept that there's a problem, then why would you try and solve a problem you can't accept that you have? Um, and so I, I think it stems from that in that, you know, nobody wants to be upset and society is telling us don't be upset. And, you know, it's not fun to be upset, but you know what, if you're aware that there's something you can do about it when you do become upset, then it's not so bad because then it, you know, if nothing else, you, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you're going to say, I now know that when I get upset, I have a choice where maybe I didn't even realize I had a choice before. And whether it's, you know, this flow chart, whether it's something that somebody else taught, it doesn't matter. Like just knowing that, you know, that you have a choice when you get upset can be a huge step for people. And I think, kind of what you were saying is um, it's kind of the last step where people want to be. Well, I think if you practice taking those moments in time when you're upset and kind of working, working through it, getting past it, figuring out, you know, what was the expectation I had that's going unmet, you eventually work back to the point where you kind of avoid even getting to the upset because now you know how to manage those expectations uh, before they happen. Like you said, in traffic, the guy cut me off. Traffic is one of my hot buttons. I get, I get upset with traffic all the time. Um, I'm not perfect with this whole expectation thing, but I'm very, very quick to shift now because I have this tool. It's in my mind. I, I mean, I created it. It's obviously there. So when I get upset at traffic, I'm like, okay, you, you know the thing, Ben, you know to just, <laughs> it's an unreasonable expectation that you don't even need to have. You don't even know why you have it anymore. Like, just get rid of it. It's... People don't know how to drive, yet they have a driver's license. It is what it is. You know, it's fine. So um, I think 
the more you realize that you have a choice, the easier it is to avoid ever getting upset because you can kind of work backwards from there. But a lot of people don't even realize that there's a problem until they're upset. And so I think it's okay to go there as long as you're willing to take a look. If you just want to stay there and be upset for weeks and months and whatever, then there's a problem. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's more just don't stay there very long, recognize it for what it is and, and do something. Yeah. You bring up a really important point, especially in the mental health community is this idea of staying in this place. Right. I mean, you know, I, I had a guest on a long time ago, Alexander Shai, and he talks about this, um, I guess in, in more secular terms, it would be like, you know, we go through like the seasons, like uh, winter would be like depression, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, if you just stay in any one place, including joy, it doesn't, it doesn't lead to a balanced life, right? Joy could be anything from like addiction, right? You, you want to stay in this fantasy world of joy and, and, and bliss without ever fa- facing any suffering. I mean, I know I did when I was uh, high most of the time uh, from the, you know, for like three years and, you know, it, it was good because I just wanted to ever, I just wanted to stay there and just stay there. But it's, it's interesting when you meet these people that almost want to stay sad because it's become part of their identity, right? It's become um, expected of them. You know, if you think about when they, when they go into their, you know, when they go into their friends groups, a lot of times they end up knowing them as a sad person or anything like that. I had somebody put, uh, put me in their phone under the, the term uh, 5150, which is the hold that I was put under uh, at the hospital. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. Do you, what uh what would you what would you say is like a bad is there such a thing as like a balanced expectation because you know like i said sometimes people end up thinking that expectations are bad and then sometimes they think they're good um i don't really think expectations have anything really assigned to them until we actually get to it right because the term expectation is just something that we do it's kind of like thinking right you 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 think automatically and there aren't bad thoughts or good thoughts until you know you go later down the line until, until you get context uh, you give context to them but i mean what would you uh, say is a balanced expect- expectation can you give it like uh, give us an example of that well i mean you, you pretty much said it is that expectations aren't positive or negative that's that's the the meaning we put on them when they happen uh, i think if if you want to talk about balanced expectations, I think it's more like we live in a life of a pendulum where sometimes it swings to the side of everything is negative. Everything's going wrong. I always expect the worst. And then the other, other swing of that pendulum is I always expect the best. It's always wonderful. Everything's great. And both of them have a, a, a catch to them because if everything's always great, but then you get that one thing that's not, you're just like, oh, God, the world's ending, right? And then you swing back to the other side. So I think the balance really comes down to getting that pendulum to stop swinging and really just kind of come to this place of, I have expectations. You know, you wake up in the morning, you expect, turn the light switch on, you expect the electricity to be there. You expect your refrigerator to still be running and your food not to be spoiled. You expect the sun to come up in the morning to set at night. Like we have expectations. It's impossible not to have them. Most of the time they go met. They're not an issue. We don't think about them. It's that they become so front and center when they go on met because now we're like, Whoa, you didn't do your part or you did you said you were going to help out and then you didn't. And I expected you to do it. But did you actually have a conversation with that person? Did you share your idea? Did they share their expectations? Did you negotiate? Did you find that middle ground? And I think a lot of times we have expectations of the world around us without talking to anybody about it. And that's, that's a problem. I mean, there are people out there that just, they're angry all the time. We have plenty of caring YouTube videos out there. Those are the people that are just, they're happy being angry. I shouldn't say happy. They're so addicted to being angry that they don't know how to be, how to step back from that. And, and then all their friends expect them to be angry. So-and-so and And it's tough because, you know, I kind of feel like I'm the black sheep of the family. So everybody expects me to not be, you know, expects me to fail or whatever. So if, if I actually succeed and I make them wrong, like what happens? right? It's a, it's one of those scary things. Like if you're the sad person and you show up happy, like everybody's going to freak out and say, what, what the hell are you on? Right. Or, you know, what's, 
and it, it's a it's a shitty game and sometimes we just have to get rid of our old friends and get new ones just so we can do something different which is fine um but then you also have to question were they actually friends if they're not okay with you changing as a person and if they're not going to support that change then they're definitely not going to be you know a friend you want hanging around so it's a it's a very like i said i think it's a pendulum when it comes to expectations and our goal i think in life is to get that pendulum to stop swinging so that our expectations are known um we get what we expect um and when we don't get what we expect we can very quickly switch those expectations around understand them and and come at them from a different perspective so that we're not upset about it yeah that was a that was a lot in that in that <laughs> answer you know because it, it's so yeah. i mean expectations are tied to a lot of things like you had uh you talked a little bit about expectations and you kind of made the uh made the correlation between expectations and boundaries right because boundaries are basically expectations of people right i expect you to stop here i expect you to to um you know not invade my personal space right i expect you to do this but if you don't tell somebody your expectations your boundaries um nobody's going to respect them because they don't know them right and so it almost it ends up being like this cycle of just like oh you know, these people don't respect my boundaries, even though I never told them. And so you get into this sense of resentment, right? Because even though you, they don't know what your boundaries are, you know, even though they don't know that, uh, you know, maybe I, I remember uh, my social anxiety did this a lot to me where, you know, somebody would uh, call me because my, my, my name is spelled L-A-K-I, but I pr prefer people to call me Lucky because that's the way, it's just the way someone spell it. And whenever somebody calls me Lackey and I don't ever, you know, question, I never tell them, oh, my name's Lucky or anything like that. I start to get this weird resentment towards them and then also towards myself for not telling them, but, oh, they should know because I'm popular around the school and, they, you know, they should, they should pick up on things. They should be more observant, you know? And it gets to the point where it gets pretty ridiculous. And, you know, I, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, you talked about uh, society today and, um, you know, it's really tough because you can't really talk to anybody now without being assigned some type of label label that then leads to their expectations of you, right? If I say I am pro-life, you start putting all these expectations on me, these all these labels, all these labels. Or if I say I'm pro-choice, all these labels, all these labels, all these labels, and then they expect you to be a certain way. Um, how do you think we get away from making these really big uh, labels? Because I feel like labels are very much tied to expectations in, in some ways when we think about, uh, you know, just anything, right? If I say I'm from the, the mental health world, right? I've been hospitalized for mental health. People expect me to be, I mean, for lack of a better term, like really fucked up in some way. And so when they hear me speak, you know, they, they're not expecting to hear me uh, doing a podcast with people, you know, random people that I don't really know as much. Uh, so, I mean, how do you think we stop that kind of cycle of like, you know, assigning these expectations to people without really even knowing them? That is the trick. I mean, we live in a technologically wonderful society, but we, I mean, we have so many ways of sending words out into the world, but we suck at communicating. We suck at it. We, we literally do because it's not your left or right. There's so much gray in between. And unfortunately, and, and it's not just one group of people. We are feeding ourselves the information we want so that we can be right about what we think. Um, and sometimes even if it's like, let's just say, you know, you're watching the news station that supports your beliefs and they say that one thing that you're like, well, I don't agree with you. So maybe you're just off your game today, but I'm going to forget that you said that. And, you know, rather than question my own beliefs, Right. I, you know, you, you can take any of the news organizations out there and if they just started touting the, the, the opposite message that their constituents are used to, what would happen? You know, would they start believing that, oh, you know, you were lying to me this whole time and I should now trust you? No, they. I think people would have a mental breakdown, honestly. Like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of mental. I think people would literally break down. They, they wouldn't know how to handle it. Um, so I think one-on-one -on -one interaction and communication one-on-one -on -one is really the only way to do it. So if, if somebody wants to put a label on you by asking you a question that leads to that, like, Hey, are you pro-choice? Are you pro-life? You just say, you know, before I answer that, what, you, what exactly are you looking for? You know, what, 
are you trying to label me? Are you trying to figure out who I am and whether or not I fit into your social circle? Um, you know, that'd be like somebody walking up to somebody and say, are you a Democrat or Republican? Because if you're one or the other, I, I can't talk to you because clearly your ideals are not mine. Right. And, and unfortunately with the political environment that we've been in the last, however long you want to put it, some people are like that where it's like, I'm not going to associate with the other side. Um, whereas if we really just break it down, if communication really does suck right now, um, maybe neither side has the, the full amount of information to actually make a, a good choice, a good decision. And, you know, it, it's funny cause I've been writing a book about this, about perception, about right and wrong and, and nobody wants to be wrong and everybody's right about their perception. And it's, it's tricky because at the end of the day, the only solve I have found is one-on-one -on -one interaction, one-on-one -on -one communication and really breaking down those barriers and those misunderstandings of, oh, you said this one thing, so I'm going to label you, label you everything else that's associated with that. Um, it's a tricky, tricky game. It really is. And I wish there was an easier answer, but it's, it's not so easy. <laughs> Yeah. Amen to that. I mean, I, you know, it, it, you, you said something very interesting that I want to go back to real quick. I mean, you, you kind of, you know, when, when you said, uh, you know, somebody's about to ask you, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's a loaded question, right? Like, are you Democrat? Are you Republican? Are you this? Are you that? You kind of asked them, what are their expectations, you know, going into that? I think that's really interesting because it also gives, um, it gives them a chance to broaden uh it gives them a chance to explain where they're coming from as well you know oh if you're if you were a republican then i wouldn't be able to you know i you know i, I wouldn't be able to be able to have a conversation with you because they do this this and this and i come from this background it could lead to a lot of different things than just answering and then just getting a blatant reply right and I, it's interesting that, I mean, I think I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, we really do suck at communicating right now. And I talk about it a lot just because, you know, I come from a social anxiety background, right? I mean, I had to be, I had to go through two or three years of therapy to get back into actually being able to speak to people. And then even more therapy after that, because I got addicted to substances and I couldn't really talk to somebody without having, you know, half a bottle of Jameson down my throat, you know? And so it gets to the point where, you know, it, it, it's, it's really tough for me to actually sympathize with some people. Although once you actually do make that one-to-one, one-on-one -one contact, you start to get all the context of people's lives. And it's like you said before, they're not all, you know, they're not all black and white. Most of it's really gray, right? You never really know how somebody has, uh, has grown up. You never know how somebody, what somebody has been through, you know, it's surprising to even talk to people on here and hear what they've gone through. And you're just like, oh man, I, just, I did not guess that by, 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 you know, speaking with you, but you know, that's just kind of, I think that's a way of kind of shattering some of your expectations as you kind of go through, um, you know, could you kind of talk about expectations and maybe some of the youth, because I feel like when we're really young, it's really tough to break out of expectations because that's when we're the most, um, you know, the, we're, we're the most uh, impressionable, you know, especially when we're talking about peers and all that stuff. I mean, how do you deal with expectations as, as a kid and how would you, what would your advice be to somebody that's maybe in the younger crowd? I, I, I would say maybe like middle school or high school. Cause I think that's where really the peer pressure starts to build up. But I mean, what would you say to that? Yeah. So you touched on a big, big area here in that where our expectations come from is from how we are raised or how we're not raised. Um, you know, if we come from a loving, caring family, then typically we're going to be a loving, caring person. Um, if we come from a family that always talks about hating certain people because of what they think and feel, then we're going to grow up being hateful um, towards that group. You know, one of the things in, that I'm, I've been researching in this other book is the people that have come out of being in a hate group like the KKK have only come out from that group because somebody showed them love and care that they never realized they could get from somebody of color. Um, and it's, it's because that person said, I want to understand where you're coming from and then show you that that's not exactly what life is. And so that, you know, going back to it with kids and growing up is how your parents raised you doesn't define who you are and who you want to be. It was, how they chose to parent you either consciously or unconsciously. 
And so in, in high school, in middle school and high school, when you're starting to figure out who the hell you are, um, you know, we always hear about kids rebelling against their parents. Well, uh, yeah, everything they know is being questioned every day of their lives. You know, so if, if you go to school and you've been taught hate and you're always bullying everyone and they're always pushing back, that doesn't feel good. And now you're questioning, like, am I supposed to be hateful? And if I'm supposed to be hateful, then I need to push even harder because you're clearly not getting to the point that you understand that I have to hate you. And, you know, the other side of that is, you know, just maybe you grew up where you're constantly being walked all over and you expect to be walked all over in high school and you just don't like it anymore. So now you're struggling with, I'm supposed to be walked all over, but it doesn't feel good now that it's happening and I want to push back. And so I, I think it really comes back to any time that you find yourself in this quandary, this, this moment in time where you're just questioning everything you grew up with, it's okay to question it, but not get angry at it. It's to say, okay, I don't like this. This is what my parents taught me. It's not working for me right now. What can I do differently? And it takes practice. Unfortunately, it's not a quick fix, but it takes practice. And a lot of times as an adult, you realize you're unlearning what you learned from your parents because it doesn't serve you anymore. And sometimes your parents put stuff in, you know, into you. They teach you certain things because that's how they, they were taught. Um, I have an 11 year old son. I have no idea how to parent in today's day and age. When I was growing up, I was outside. There was no internet. I didn't have a cell phone with me. Like if my parents wanted to find me, they would like either yell in the neighborhood. They, they rang a giant big bell that I could hear from like three blocks away. That's how I got home, you know, or they had to come drive around and find me. Nowadays I can just text my son. I'm like, come home, you know? Right. Um, so I don't know the challenges and struggles he's going to have in high school because I didn't have them. So for me to say I can parent him effectively is bullshit. I don't know his world. I've never lived as youth in this world. So all I can do is do what I can to instill self-confidence in him so that when he comes up to something, he just knows that he can handle it um, or that he has resources to come back to. Um, so for the youth where you don't feel like you can talk to your parents, find somebody you can talk to, somebody you f feel you can confide in um, because it'll help. It, it does help to have somebody to talk to. And, you know, it might have to be an adult because, you know what, every other kid's trying to figure out their own shit, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe it's somebody who's out of college and they're finally in the real world and they're like, yeah, all that stuff was fucking stupid. And sorry for cussing, but. <laughs> no, nah, I mean, I think that's when you get some of the most authentic things. Is why That's why I let, you know, I, I. I was trying to figure out if I wanted this to be a cussing podcast or a non-cussing podcast, but I cuss a lot in my, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a video gamer, so I cuss <laughs> a lot in my day-to-day -day life. So uh, it's a little hard to not express myself without some form of, uh, you know, <laughs> expletive yeah. in there. But, you know, I, I, I think you bring up a really interesting point here, which is, you know, the, the future, right? Because I'm even wondering about that now. I don't have kids, but, you know, I'm just wondering that now, you know, back in, you know, it's hard to it's hard to believe at, at you know for some people out there but there was a time where the internet wasn't a thing you know but now it's such a big part of our lives i mean we're doing a interview over zoom so it's so wild to think that you know this all you know back in the 90s i mean i remember it was crazy to even have like a computer it was like oh you have a computer that's awesome and then in fifth grade was when aol came out and we were instant messaging people it was cool and everything and now you know you could have group chats you can have group zoom things you can it's it's pretty wild to, to really think about if you go back all the way and so you know speaking of technology you know one of the big things that i've noticed is uh, especially is social media um that's expectation city right you know and I, I really do fear, I, there was a gentleman named Jonathan Haidt who did a book called The Coddling of the American Mind or something like that. And he was talking about how, uh, especially young women, their, the suicide, at least the suicidal thought rates have, come, have gone up like exponentially. And the, especially the suicide attempt rate has come, gone up 
uh, pretty substantially as well. And he, he kind of summarized it to being, you know, them looking at Instagram because guys use technology for different reasons than girls. A lot of times, you know, we're not looking at girls and thinking, Oh, I wish I had her butt or something like that. It's usually for (laughs) some other devious reason uh, that I won't say exactly, but uh, you know, how do you, how do you think we navigate social media? Because I went about maybe like five or six years where I just took a a cold hard stop off of social media and had a lot of fun doing it. But then I moved to Texas and figured I wanted to keep in touch with some of my family members through there. I mean, how do you, how do you deal with the social media with uh, expectations and how do you kind of, how do you think the youth should navigate this? Because they're going to be growing up with this. It's not like us where maybe we didn't, we knew a time where there wasn't social media and we kind of got acclimated before and we weren't uh, spending our formulative years uh, or formative years in uh, that space. I think the biggest thing, because I, I struggle with this sometimes because I'll, I'll sit there and I'm scrolling through Facebook and I just, I start to recognize I'm like, I'm getting upset. I'm getting angry. I don't have what they have. Like I start comparing myself. Right. And I think that's the biggest problem that we have with social media is we, we compare ourselves to others. And um, oddly enough, we can conform our social media to, to play with our views and keep our views where they are. You know, it's very easy for me to see somebody who I was friends with that I don't agree with politically and say unfriend. And now I don't have to see their shit anymore. Um, So it's really easy to say, like, I live in this world where everything is exactly as I want it to be, except that I'm still comparing myself to others. Because I'm able to recognize that, that's when I can just close it out and move on. Um, To say that to somebody who's never not had social media around, the only thing that comes to mind is to have a creative outlet, whether that's art, whether that's writing, whether that's music, um, whether that's frolicking in the front yard i mean i don't know what the creative outlet is for you as a person but it's like go do that go do what makes you happy and i guarantee it's not being on social media that makes you happy so um unless you're the instagram model that has like six million views every time you post a picture and you're very happy because you're making a ton of money um (laughs) but um even then they're probably not happy looking at social media they're happy doing what's necessary to be on social media. Um, so I think just having a creative outlet, and I think that solves a lot of problems. Go do what you're, what makes you happy and stop doom scrolling, stop comparing yourself. And yeah, we, we all say the same thing. Stop comparing yourself. And until you practice it, you don't really realize how powerful that is. You just have to. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's something that I had to deal with, because usually when I'm scrolling social media, I'm always comparing because I'm unemployed right now. And I've been trying to, you know, make this podcast thing work, at least trying to get my my roots digged in before I do go out and work real quick, you know, just to make sure that I have everything, you know, I have the process down because, you know, when I was first doing this, I had no idea how to edit things, how to you know do anything like that. And now, you know, I've gotten some things on it. But, you know, whenever I hear about somebody, you know, killing themselves at work it's some it like brings up something in me that makes me feel i'm not working hard enough like here i am sitting in front of a computer just talking to people and you know i should be doing more and it's very fascinating once i realize once i once i kind of look back on my life and think like you know what i mean maybe this is just your path right i think that's really something that a lot of us need to kind of figure out right like you know i have the the rock uh, i follow the rock on instagram and you know, big Samoan guy, you know, I'm a big Samoan guy. I'm just like, why am I not like him? Why am I not doing this? And then when you see his workouts, you're like, okay, never mind. I don't want to be like him. That's, that's, I'm okay. Um, but, you know, there's just so much expectation out there. And, um, you know, I wanted to bring this back because you, you know, you're a father. Uh, how do you deal with expectations as, as, a, as a parent, right? Because that's something that can sometimes cripple a kid, right? You know, my father always expected me to go into football because I'm Samoan and he really, he just thought it was, you know, it was the way I did things. It's the way he's going to do things. Um, a lot of kids do have to deal with a lot of expectations from parents as well. I mean, how do you, uh, a deal with your own expectations for, for your, uh, for your kid and B, I mean, how do you think parents in general should be dealing with expectations? So fortunately for me, I have been doing personal growth for long enough and personal growth at the end of the day is simply awareness training. Um, so I'm aware of the words that come out of my mouth when I'm talking to my son. 
I'm not always happy with what I say. And I own up to that. And I tell him, I'm like, you know what? Forget what I just said. That's not what I meant. Not what I want for you. And, you know, I'm just real with him and I'm, I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect. And I kind of feel like he needs to know that because kids emulate what they grow up with. It's not the words that come out of a parent's mouth. It's our actions that they emulate. So if I can show him that it's okay to be wrong uh, and to correct something when, you know, oops, I made a mistake. It's okay. I can fix it. Um, then hopefully he'll grow up with that kind of mentality, that, that kind of idea about life. You know, I've, I've been working on instilling in him that lying is worse than telling the truth. And I, you know, I've caught him lying and I've punished, you know, I've told him like, here's the consequences of what's going to happen if you do X, Y, or Z. I'm not the type that grounds him afterwards and, and, you know, puts him in trouble after the fact. Like if he does something he didn't know was a bad thing, he doesn't know it's a bad thing until I tell him, right? You know, because he's a kid, he doesn't know. But if I tell him like, we don't do that, this is why we don't do that. And if you ever do it again, this is the consequence. Well, now he definitely knows not to. Um, And so I've been working on instilling in him, like if you tell the truth, the punishment won't be nearly as bad as lying. Um. And I think he gets that and I hope he gets that. And I hope that's what's happening. And so far so good. I I mean, I don't catch him lying really ever. Um, As time goes on, we'll see what happens because he's almost a teenager. He's not quite there yet, Um, but we'll see. And I think for parents, if you're ever just questioning yourself, remember you're a human, you make mistakes. You've never been a parent before. And your parents may or may not have done it correctly. So if all you're doing is repeating what your parents did when you parent your own child, A, remember, they're growing up in a completely different time with completely different situation, different technology, different everything than how you grew up. So your kind of guess is as good as anybody else's and give yourself a break. And actually, you know, I kind of feel like the biggest problem in our world today is that nobody's willing to admit when they're wrong. So if you as a parent can show your children that it's okay to admit when you're wrong and that you can learn from that and move on with life, maybe the next generation will be better off than we are right now. <laughs> that's my, that's the best advice I can give is just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely good advice. I mean, you know, it's funny. I, I hate admitting when I'm wrong in certain situations, right? There are certain situations where, you know, if I'm talking to somebody on here and, you know, they're like a, I don't know, like a, they're an actual therapist or something like that. I don't pretend to know that I know more than them or something like that. But if I'm amongst <laughs> my friends and they try and, you know, tell me I'm wrong, I start to, you know, get really defensive about it. But if I do realize that I'm wrong, usually I'll end up doing like a, uh, an over-exaggeration of being angry and then just, you know, say, you know, if somebody tell, calls me out in my video game or something like that, it's just like, man, why can't I be good? You know, and, you know, and then I just, I just, we just kind of move on from there because I'm somewhat acknowledging it, but I'm also, uh, you know, over-exaggerating it just so I can get some of that anger out. Um, but at the end of the day, I am, and I, I, I think I really like what you're saying there because it also, you know, when we talk about expectations, there's, expect, there's, you know, a couple different ways to look at expectations, right? Expectations of yourself on yourself, expectations of yourself are, uh, from yourself to somebody else and expectations from somebody else to you. And uh, I think that uh, being a parent is just such a difficult job that it's hard to deal with those expectations as you go along, right? You're expecting, you know, I, you know, people always get those like how to, how to be a mom, how to be a dad books or, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. And they're asking all their friends, like, what did you guys do? What did you do? And, you know, typically what I hear people doing is just, you know, stumbling in the dark, trying to figure out like what's going on. Um, Cause each kid's kind of different, right? Like some, you know, me my brother and my sister were all very different with my mom. 
Uh, and dealing with that is very, very tough. And if you had some expectation from the first child to the third child, right, it's going to be completely different, right? My brother and my sister both got uh, up to at least their bachelor's degree. I was a college dropout, right? So it's it's very it's very different these experiences. And I really, you know, appreciate you bringing this uh, subject up because it's something that you know I deal with a lot. You know, every single time, you know, there was a there was a big winter storm here in Austin and Texas in general. And, you know, a lot of things just went out by the wayside, you know, I was just like all my expectations. I was like, Oh, I was expecting to go to the gym. I was expecting to do all this stuff and no internet, no nothing. You know, I had to cancel a bunch of appointments and just, you know, all my expectations just flew out and I freaked out quite a bit, you know, pandemic, you think about expectations. That's a big thing that, that dealt with that. I mean, how do you, um, you know, this is my final question before I ask you about your message to the people out there. But, you know, when we talk about the pandemic and just really big events that happen that, uh, you know, really test our, our psyches. I mean, how do you deal with expectations then, right? Because this is this really big life-changing event that has happened and you kind of have to rebuild yourself. I mean, how do you go about uh, doing that and, you know, kind of getting your expectations back in order? So I... It's very obvious in the news and watching social media and everything that a lot of people haven't accepted that we're in a pan that we were coming out of a pandemic, but that we were in a pandemic to begin with, and that certain things needed to change. Um, you know, you kind of said it. If you tell somebody that they're wrong, they will fight you for literally ever. If they figure it out on their own, they'll beat themselves up for five minutes, maybe five days, but they'll get past it. Um, so we live in a world where nobody wants to be wrong. And if they bought into news that says the pandemic's nothing, why are you all being little punks about it? Then they're fighting it and they're fighting the mandates and they're fighting this and they're fighting that it's all over the news. Um, so a lot of people haven't accepted that we were in a pandemic. They haven't accepted that they needed to do their part because for whatever reason, they don't feel like they're the problem because to them, there is no problem. Um, even when science says otherwise. So the if you're listening and you want something different, you are among the minority, oddly enough. You actually can actually step back and say, yes, this is what is. And what what can I do? What What's my part in this? And it goes right back to how we started. Like, you have to accept what is before anything can change. So you know, when the pandemic came down, it was like, okay, we're in a pandemic and I don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. And there's some brilliant people out there gathering as much data as quickly as possible to put together something so that we do know what's going on. And I mean, that's the beauty of science. It's always growing. It's always changing. You know, if we put the science of going into space today back in front of the people that were trying to do it back in the sixties, like sixties is yeah, whenever it was, they would look at it and be like, like their heads would explode because it's so much information they didn't have back then. But that's evolving science. Um, there's technology that exists today that didn't back then. And they'd be like, I, they can't even comprehend it. So in 10, 20 years, we're going to look back and say, how little did we know about the coronavirus? How little did we know about that pandemic? You know, whatever it may be. Um, but I think in society today for anything that comes up, you just have to accept what is and then do your part, whether that's stay at home, whether that's put on a mask, whether that's get vaccinated, whether that's choosing not to get vaccinated because of whatever you're, you know, it is what it is. Um, I will never be like, I want to say like mandatory vaccinations, like I get it, but I also don't. Like, I don't want to put that on anyone, you know, um, I do like people having a choice, uh, but you know, at the same time, if it's really going to solve the problem and we have the data that shows that like one eight, one eight hundredth of a percent of people who have been vaccinated have died <laughs> from, from the vaccine, which isn't even proven as a number, like you're way more likely to win the lottery or get struck by lightning or whatever, so, you know, if you're not going to get vaccinated because the science says you're, it's okay to do it, then don't go play the lottery because you're definitely going to have a better chance of winning the lottery than dying from the vaccine. It is what it is. Um, 
but you know people live in different alternate realities because of what they see on social media what they see on tv so i don't know you just if you're willing to accept what is then you can do something about it but if you're not willing to accept what is nothing's going to change yeah, that's really the was, long was, way around back to it. No, nah, definitely. I mean, so what you're saying is there's a chance. So, yeah. there, there's uh, a chance. There's a chance. I heard that one in but uh, no, I mean that's a, that's a good point, right? I mean, I think you know it's really tough to really. I mean, I think the only thing that's guaranteed in life is that you can change yourself. It's not completely guaranteed that you can change others, right? And I think that's something that we also have to accept, right? That is very tough to really deal with. And so, um, yeah, it's been really awesome to talk to you. But, you know, as I usually do with a lot of these, um, you know, I, I usually just ask you, you know, what, uh, what kind of message would you like to impart on my listeners? It could either be a sum up of, you know, what you said earlier or, you know, just, uh, you know, just this is just me giving you the floor to my listeners to um, tell them any you know the most important things that maybe you've learned in your life. Yeah, so I'm going to come back to the the point where I was talking about it's okay to get upset and just reiterate we live in a society where people don't want you to get upset where it's not okay to be upset you're not supposed to be upset you're supposed to be happy and joyous all the time. Well, I am going to say it's okay. I'm going to give you permission to get upset. I'm not going to give you permission to stay there though because you've listened to this podcast, you now know that there's a tool out there that you can do something about. There's probably thousands of tools that you can do when you get upset, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm showing up here saying, you know, I have a flow chart. You can download it for free from my website, put it on your refrigerator, put it in your car, put a little miniature one in your wallet. I don't really care. Just know that when you get upset, you have an option. And if, if nothing else, whether you remember the flowchart or not, as long as you remember you have an option when you get upset, your life will drastically be different. Man, yeah, that's really well said. And I'll have a link to where you can find that flowchart as well in the description box down below. But uh, Ben, thank you so much for being on. I think what you're saying is really important and you know, surprisingly uh, appropriate for, for today especially. But it's it's really refreshing to know a lot about this because I'm definitely someone that like whenever my expectations are broken, even if it's like the smallest thing, anxiety wells up this, you know, especially in social situations. I mean, this podcast, uh, the podcast will be out by now, but I did a podcast where, uh, you know, we kind of went off script a little bit and I started getting really uncomfortable. And, you know, this, this woman was kind of asking me more about my social anxiety because she's a hypnotherapist. So she started kind of delving into me and I was like, wait a minute, this is not what we agreed upon. I am the interviewer, you were the interviewee. But it was, it was a really <laughs> valuable experience that really made me go off, you know, into improv land, right? I really had to accept that, you know, these were questions that she really wanted answered so we could go forward into a more of an, a more of an understanding and also to get into what she's good at. And so, um, yeah, I really appreciate you being on and, you know, kind of spreading this message about this. And um, yeah, once again, thank you for being on. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Hey guys, thanks for watching Mental Health Casual. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe for more videos.